What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Adorn Podcast. We're on episode 42, and today we're going to cover Genesis chapter 3 and the fall. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Adorned Podcast. We're your hosts, Erin and Casey. We would love for you to come join us each week as we discuss what it means to be made beautiful by God's Word. Whether you are a college student walking to class, a mom folding laundry during nap time, or a boss babe sitting in rush hour traffic, we hope that we can encourage and inspire you to pursue a deeper understanding of the Bible. Like we need like some sinister music yeah, coming dun, into dun, this. Dun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is really anybody's favorite two chapters. Yeah, I don't know Genesis three and four. Yeah. So I wasn't really looking forward to studying it that much because I I feel like it's just really heavy. It's doom and gloom. But it's actually been really good and really enlightening and just shown me more about God's character and mm-hmm. I've actually really enjoyed it. So we are going to um, just kind of share with you today what the Lord has taught us through studying Genesis 3 and 4 and give you kind of a recap. Um, If you have not read it yourself recently, no worries. We will try to fill in those gaps for you. So here we go. Mm -hmm. How does chapter 3 begin? So enter Satan. Bom, bom, bom. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we see it just starts out right away with, it says, now the serpent was more crafty. So it's just like, now the serpent, here it is. Like we should know what yep. that means and where it comes from. Which drives Aaron crazy. Drives me nuts. <laughs> I can see it, it on her face. me nuts. Like, okay, everybody's just supposed to be okay with the fact that he's just there. Like where did he even come from? Why is that not explained? It drives me nuts. But Casey always is good to remind me like, you know, think of the context. This was Moses writing to the Israelites and they must have had some prior knowledge of him. So it wasn't weird for Mm -hmm. Moses to just be like, and there was this evil snake thing. Yeah. I mean, I I would think they would or else he wouldn't just say it like that. And then there's also some other places in the Bible that that tell us a little bit about Satan. Right, right. That's true. It gives us more context. There's some places in um, Isaiah, I believe. Yep, and Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, and then also in Revelation. So if you want to see kind of the beginnings of of Satan and where he came from and what the Bible has to say about him, um, there are some other places in the Bible, and that's, once again, kind of what we talk about with biblical literacy. Um, we do have the whole picture of the Bible now, so we can go and look at those other scriptures. Yes, which is a gift because not everybody had that, or not everybody still even does have that. Right. So moving on, what happens after the serpent just appears? So he starts speaking and he's addressing the woman specifically. Um, it's still kind of not 100% clear on if Adam was literally right there next to her or what Adam's whereabouts were. We see that he is there when um, when she actually eats it. But at that moment, we don't know where Adam is. We're assuming he's there, but we don't know. And so he... he um, deceives Eve, I guess is a good word to use. And he twists God's word and questions God's character and puts doubt in, um, in Eve's mind about who God is and if he's good. And, um, what else do you want to say about that? Yeah. I mean, I just think that this is really interesting because I think that this is the way that Satan still works today. Mm -hmm. I think we see it all throughout the Bible. And I think that it's one of his main ways that he attacks today. And that's questioning and twisting God's word. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, if you look at the story of Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, the first thing that Satan said to him was, are you really the son of God? And if you back up a little bit, like God had just proclaimed Mm -hmm. Jesus as his son. So he's questioning. He's saying, 
is your father really telling the truth? And so from the very beginning, we see this was kind of Satan's method of attack. And so um, I think that that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of shows us a place where we need to put a safeguard up. Yeah. We need to be guarded. We need to be well read when it comes to Bible. We need to know his word. Right. So we know what it says. And so we can believe with our full heart that it is true. Right. And like we've mentioned this um, analogy before, but it's the same with counterfeit money, right? Like you have to be so confident in the original to be able to catch something that's an imposter. Right. And if we're not growing in our understanding of God's word, then when someone questions it, we're not going to know. And we're not saying you're ever going to know everything exactly perfectly, but to really be growing in that and to be grounded in that, um, will like Casey saying, like be a safeguard because like she's saying, this is the same thing he does. He does today is he subtly, um, whispers Mm -hmm. twists of truth sometimes and, and just puts, causes us to question, right? right? Causes us to doubt God's character, God's goodness, God's reasonableness. Um, and really just, if he does love us, is he really good? Mm-hmm. And that that's yeah. all that um, that's all that he was doing. He was having Eve question if God was holding out on her. Was he was there something he was keeping from mm-hmm. her that would have been good for her? And and we know from the scripture that's not true. God, you know, does all things for our good and his glory. And so to just remind ourselves of that allows us to catch things that make us maybe doubt his goodness and, right. and his character. And I think it's um it's something that we need to know is that when God made this command that, um, the enemy is trying to twist, he did it for their good and for, um, his glory. He didn't do it to hold out on them. And he, he expected his commands to be obeyed. Um, just like as a parent or anybody who kind of sets this boundary, like that boundary is for good and it's expected to be Mm. observed. It's not, um, it's not like there was some kind of freedom here. Let's talk about this. Like it was a command and he expected it to be obeyed. Yeah. And then when Eve answers, so the serpent says, did God really say this? Well, when Eve answers, she says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Mm -hmm. Well, if you go back to chapter two, she was twisting his words. She added a little bit and she took away a little bit. Mm -hmm. So once again, it's, um, a lot of times that root of sin has to do with us twisting God's words. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's super helpful. Cause we see, we see her doing the same thing he just did. Right. Right. And um, yeah, and so the main thing that he's trying to convince them that they want, right? That mm-hmm. there's this desire. What is it that he's trying to get them? And he, he wants, he wants, uh, the thing he's tempting them with is for them to be like, like God, God, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think this is so interesting because the, the tree, even the name of it, right, is the knowledge of good and evil. And so if you think about that really practically, they already had knowledge of good, right? Because mm-hmm. all they knew was good. God created it was good. God created right. it was good. So they have this knowledge of good. And so it seems kind of silly, right, that mm-hmm. they would the thing they want is knowledge of evil. So can you kind of break that down a little bit for us? Like, why is that desirable for them? Yeah. So my first thought is just simply the fact that they wanted to know it all, mm. just like God. You know, I think about like um, we're women. And one of the things that I think a lot of us struggle with would be gossip. Mm. And sometimes we're wanting to hear things that might not be good or happy or holy or whatever it is, but we want to know it all. And I think that that's kind of how they were. Like they didn't really understand that evil was not a good thing. They just knew that God had it. Mm. And so they wanted it. Mm-hmm. They wanted that knowledge too. 
They wanted to be as much like him as possible. And you made a good point earlier when we were talking. I mean, they were already made in his image. Mm -hmm. Yes. But they didn't have his incommunicable attributes. Like they didn't have his holiness. They weren't omnipresent. They weren't um, just all the things that we talked about before sovereign. And so they're just desiring to be as much like him as they can possibly be. Mm -hmm. And does that. Yeah, makes so that that bit? makes me think of that Jen Wilkin quote, right? That mm-hmm. they were created to reflect him, but yes. instead they, they, they want to rival. They chose to rival him. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think we do that so much today, too. We do. I mean, like if we're being honest. we choose that. Yes. Like, we know that, okay, like, these things aren't good, and there's a reason that God has put up these boundaries, mm-hmm. but we push those boundaries anyway. Mm-hmm just crazy so let's ask let's ask a question that a lot of people might be asking as they read this like why were the trees in the garden anyway okay so matt chandler has um a sermon on this and he said that one of his friends one time asked him they said isn't that like putting a loaded gun on the table and telling your kid not to touch it and his first response was well what kind of gun is it (laughs) i mean we're in texas aren't we but he went on to say well i mean you could think of it that way, but his belief, and and I tend to agree with him, is it wasn't like a loaded gun. It was simply there to show Adam and Eve that there is joy in obedience, mm-hmm. and um, boundaries are a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like like if you were to put a gate at the top of stairs for for your kids like that's to protect them and that's that's a good thing like Mm -hmm. you're a good parent right if you're putting those boundaries there and so I think of it the same way like boundaries are a good thing and so if we think of sin we haven't talked about the definition of sin a lot necessarily yet but if you think of sin as lawlessness meaning like there's no order like you're you're going away from the rules, Mm -hmm. then righteousness is lawfulness. So we should delight in the law. Mm -hmm. Like that's part of righteousness. So yeah, I mean, I just think about like how we as humans thrive on, on those boundaries and Mm -hmm. that structure and rules. Like I think about our household, like it would be insanity if we didn't have any rules in our house with little children. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what God was doing. Like when rules are being obeyed and when these boundaries are being kept, there's, there's joy in that. Mm -hmm. And I think too, a lot of it has exactly what you're saying. There's joy in obedience because there's a difference between obedience out of force and obedience, like finding joy in obedience. And you can think about that in any relationship, um, even with your friends, like, if you're asking them to do something and they're like, yeah, I can go do that for you. Like, I don't want to, but if they're like, I would love to help Mm -hmm. you in that way and do that for you. Like what a difference that makes and, and how much more glory for the creator. If what he's created finds joy in what he's created them Mm -hmm. to do and Mm -hmm. to not do. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that hopefully that helps. I don't think that completely answers the question about why the trees are there. Yeah. Cause I I don't think think it helps. I think that's another kind of one of those mysterious things, Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, that helped me. There's, a lot of questions. Yes, a lot the, of questions. These that two come chapters, up. especially, there's a lot of questions, but yes. that helped me understand it better. So um, we see the serpent tell Eve now. He says, "You will not surely die, for God knows that you, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So that's kind of what we were talking about: this desire to be like God. But when you look at what Satan's doing here, he's saying, "Like you won't die. Like you can do whatever you want." And basically, he's saying, "God loves you. Nothing's going to happen. So, so go ahead and just mm. and do whatever you want." And um, there was a point that was brought up. 
in another podcast I was listening to where they said, this is very similar to what we hear at a lot of churches these days, is that you can go and do whatever you want to do because God loves you unconditionally and it just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Which is true, he loves us unconditionally, but it's not true that it doesn't matter. Because God is a just God, like we know that that's one of his attributes. And um, we can't just we can't just go around like purposefully sinning all the time and not expect there to be consequences mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. And sin, sin separates us from God. Like if there's nothing else that you can think of as far as a consequence goes, if you're living in sin, then you will be separated from God. And that that's enough to choose not to sin. Mm-hmm. So um, once again, we just see the serpent lying here. Yeah. He's just lying. Yeah. I mean, I think grace, that's a really good point is grace is, you know, forgiveness of those sins and is unconditional, but at the same time, grace isn't just forgiveness of your sin. It's it's a push towards obedience. Exactly. That and sanctification that, that we yes. talk about. That's yeah. part of the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I think one more thing, <laughs> just before we move on, I, I, we're spending a lot of time talking on this. We're going to have to speed it up. But I just think one more thing that's so funny is that they wanted to be like God, right? And so they thought, which is just ironic, but they thought if they sin, they would be like God which makes no sense because God is sinless, right? So how they even got past that logic, I don't really understand. So next. Okay, so um, then, so Eve decides that she will eat it. She does not die. She turns around, hands Adam the fruit, has him eat it too. He doesn't die. So what do you think they're thinking? They're probably thinking God's a liar. I mean, I don't know how much they really even know of death at this point because I don't think anything has died yet. Right. Um, I was thinking the same thing. Like, did they really know what death Did they was? understand that? Like, but at the same point, they must have thought, well, nothing happened instantly. Right. Right. So they right. thought, okay, well, maybe maybe the serpent thing was right. But we understand that, you know, from that point on, they were dying. Exactly. They didn't instantly perish, but they were separated. They, they caused that chasm between themselves and God where God was no longer able to dwell amongst them because of the sin that separated them. And so, you know, spiritually, you know, there's, there is a death there mm-hmm. spiritually, but then there's also the physical s- process of starting to die from yeah. that point on. Yeah. And, you know, we were created to rush toward God, but mm-hmm. once sin happened, like God spends the whole rest of, of Genesis and really the whole Bible pursuing his people Yes, because we're not, doing what we were created to do and that's to seek after him but but god still chooses to seek after us and we see that um when um god says uh, so adam and eve immediately in their shame which they had no shame before they were naked before and they had no shame in their shame they knew they did something wrong so they went and hid Mm -hmm. and so we see god start to pursue them when he says where are you yeah and he wasn't asking that because he didn't know where they were. Why do you think he was asking them that? Okay, so we've mentioned the word sin a few times, and we were referring to um, Eve's sin, although she's not called Eve yet. But anyways, um, let's let's try to give a good, clear definition of, of what is sin for them and for us as well. So do you have a good definition for us, Casey? Yeah, so this is from Systematic Theology, and it says, Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God and act, attitude, or nature. That's pretty good. Systematic theology, they're always just so solid. Concise, yep. I like it. 
I also, I mean, I mentioned earlier that sin is lawlessness. Mm -hmm. And I also just, one of the things from reading this that um, I didn't see it defined this way, but I think that trusting someone else other than God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that we can define sin. Right. Um, But I think that that's another thing that we definitely see happening here. Yeah. I like, um, I'm trying to remember where I heard this, but I thought it was really good. They're saying sin is doing what God's word forbids or not doing what his word commands Mm -hmm. in act, attitude, or nature. And I think that's super helpful because a lot of times I think we tend to excuse like sins of omission. Like, and it's important for us to know that it's not just an act of doing something wrong, but it's also an act of not doing what God tells you Mm -hmm. to. So it goes, it kind of goes on both, on both sides. So I thought, I thought that was helpful. And I think it's really important for us, um, to know in this day and age, because our culture kind of has this idea that, um, everybody is born good, right? Yes. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're perfect until we're ruined or, you know, even the court that says like you're innocent until proven guilty, which yeah. that makes sense in a court <laughs> room. So don't hear <laughs> me wrong here. With that. But I'm just saying we, we have that idea and we have to remind ourselves like scripture says that's not true. Scripture says that everyone is born with a sin nature. And um, I even, I was reading my girls, the book, Theology, which you've heard us reference and we can put in the show notes, but it was telling us like everyone is born sinful. And that kind of sounds harsh. And it's like, not necessarily the first thing you want to tell your kids when they wake up in the morning, but <laughs> yeah. at the same time, we have to have a right view of this mm-hmm. because if we don't, and I think this is a big gap in especially people our age with just the entitlement and all that, yes. but we have to have a right view of ourself and of sin to truly understand the gospel. Like mm-hmm. we've mentioned on here before, if you don't have, if you don't understand the depth of the bad news, then the good news is not going to seem that great, mm-hmm. right? If we're like, I deserve being saved. I wasn't even wrong. I didn't do anything wrong or I'm not as bad as that person. We're missing the whole gospel, right? Yeah. So this chapter as doom and gloom as it is, like it really forces us to accept the fact that we are broken and we are sinful and we need a savior. And we'll see that as we continue to study Genesis, how broken and sinful those people are, but how broken and sinful we are. Mm -hmm. And without truly understanding that, it really taints our view of the gospel. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think all you have to do is look at a baby, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody teaches them how to sin, especially if they're a first child and have no siblings Mm -hmm. and don't go to daycare. And like my firstborn, like she wasn't, exposed to many other kids at all like the only place that she learned how to sin was just from her nature yeah like it's just born into her and it's so obvious as a mama like it's so obvious and so I think that that right there is confirmation Mm -hmm. that we are born with a sinful nature Mm -hmm. yeah and if we look at just all of scripture and we'll get a lot of this in the next few chapters of Genesis but we see that humankind in scripture is is mostly a history of mankind in a state of rebellion against God but then God's plan of redemption to bring us back to himself and we start to see that right away in this next verse right so so what happens next after after they sin what happens so I think we can just state the obvious that God God isn't asking because he doesn't know, right? We right. know that God is omniscient and he knows all things. So so what does that mean? Then why would he, he be asking? And I think what we can take away from knowing God and his character is that he's asking because he cares and he's asking because he's pursuing, right? He wants a relationship with them. And, and we find it just so interesting that, you know, he didn't, he could have just immediately killed them. Right. Yeah. Like they sinned. They broke the law. They broke the commandment. 
he could have just wiped them out. I mean, we have to assume that that's what happened with Satan, right? Satan mm-hmm. sinned and he, he didn't get a chance of Bam. redemption. And so, um, there's a, the book gleanings from Genesis and A.W. Pink, he says it this way. He says, when God asks, where are you? This is not the voice of the policeman, but the call of yearning love mm-hmm. because dark as is the background here, it only serves more clearly to reveal the riches of God's grace. And this is another thing where we have to really take our own mindset of thinking we deserve grace and putting that away because we do not deserve grace. And here they're in the same place. Like they do not deserve this grace that God is extending to them by asking them and pursuing them. But it just really brings God more glory to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. What else do you think? Yeah. And I also like how someone brought this up this past week that God pushes his children towards repentance. Mm -hmm. Like he was giving them a chance, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't just, like you said, like either kill them on the spot or, or immediately um, start accusations, which would have been true. Like they did it, but he, he asked, he gives them a chance to say, this is what we did. Mm -hmm. But is that how they answer? (laughs) No. I mean, honestly, I don't think it's how I would answer. So that shows my sinful nature, right? (laughs) Right. And it's just funny because, I mean, he does say, you know, Adam, when he says, where are you? And Adam says, oh, well, I hid because I was naked. And that God's like, well, perfect. Now let me ask you, how do you know that? So it kind of gives him a lead in. But then, you know, it's funny how we watch it all play out, right? Like God's asking them, giving them a chance to repent, giving him a chance to own what he did and he doesn't he goes and he blames eve and then what does eve do she blames the serpent it's just so <laughs> it's so applicable it's to us blame today. game yes. oh my goodness which i mean if we're being honest that's what i i find myself doing like oh it was that circumstance i was yes. in that made me do that mm-hmm. thing and no that's not that's that's not actually even true or right. or fair i guess is the right way to say that um, so, so what happens next? So, um, then God lists all these curses mm-hmm. that happen. Um, so God says, because you have done this talking to, um, to the serpent, he will be on his belly. He will be, um, cursed above all livestock and all the beasts of the field and on his belly he should go and of the dust you shall eat all the days of your life and then verse 15 happens can you give us a little insight into verse 15 so last week we gave you a whole bunch of big words so here's another one coming at you um chapter 3 verse 15 is sometimes referred to as the proto-evangelium and that's why i handed it over to you (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna just assume that that's right but um it's it's the first proclamation of the gospel which when I first heard that I was like that seems like kind of a stretch but but I I, I see the same it thing. I'm glad yeah. I'm not the only one yeah. I thought the same thing <laughs> but basically what what he's saying is that this is pointing to the coming king this is pointing to Jesus coming to redeem us when he says you know there'll be enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring and then it says he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel so we see that ultimately um, Jesus will rule over and have dominion over evil, death, everything. He will have victory over it, which is pretty cool to see that all the way back Mm -hmm. in Genesis 3. Right. It's it's so neat. And then it's we were listening to something. Oh, the girls yesterday on Netflix or it's Amazon Prime right now. There's a um, movie called Jesus and his 
walk on earth or something. It's really, really good. Like they were watching it. It's a cartoon and it was basically all scripture. Wow. For an hour and a half. I was sitting there studying for the podcast, but it talked about this because I think, and I should have looked this up before the podcast, but in the New Testament, I mean, probably multiple times, it refers to this, Mm -hmm. talking about Jesus, but they said this on this movie. And so I'm not sure which specific verse it was but I just thought that was really cool I was like I'm studying that right now so it is like it is um prophecy Mm -hmm. as into what Jesus is going to do in the future and Mm -hmm. so that's that's really cool to see all the way back like Aaron said so then the story goes on and God turns and starts talking to Eve and he says that he is going to increase um pain in childbearing gee Thanks, Eve, yeah, that's awesome. for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> and then um, and that her desire will be for her husband, but he will rule over her. So instead of being co-labors, now there's going to be some competition there mm-hmm. um, and that wasn't originally supposed to be intended. And then he starts talking to Adam and says, um, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you and pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taking for your dust into dust you shall return mm-hmm. and I thought that was interesting because just as I was thinking about it um the like Adam was gonna have to now work for his food when it was food that caused him to sin in the first place so mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting yeah. kind of a interesting connection but like ironic mm-hmm, kind of ironic <laughs> so then what happens next in our story so then this is this is where it starts to get less doom and gloom more. I don't know. This was exciting to me to yeah. study this part of it because what we see immediately after God um, puts these curses on the ground and on the, the enemy and all these things that he's saying, we don't see Adam go and respond and say, I don't want that or no response at all. The first thing, the very next thing that it says in the Bible is that the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Mm-hmm. And I just think what a hope and just positive thing to come right after that, right? Like, so everything God just said to him and the thing that Adam took away from it was that this woman that he's married to is going to be the mother of all living things. You know how it was saying that God said that her offspring. And, and so he's like, this is what I'm taking away from this is that there is hope of redemption and then it's going to come from this mm-hmm. woman who is the mother of all living things. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was so neat. And that that relationship was still yes. there. Like he, yes. he, he loved her um, because you see earlier and we didn't, well, we did. We mentioned that he blamed Eve mm-hmm. for the sin, right. for falling into the sin. But just a few verses later and he's mm-hmm. naming her and yeah. saying, you're the mother of all living things. And so, that's that um, that glimmer of hope yes. that we can see. And we see that even more in the next verse um, in 21 where it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So I never, re- I usually just kind of like read over that verse, never really thought anything of it. But as I was studying for this, 
what we see, there's so much we see in that one little verse. Mm -hmm. We see, like we mentioned, God is pursuing them, right? He wants a relationship. Not only does he want a relationship for them, but he is covering, he's made a sacrifice. This is the first time we see a sacrifice or an offering, right? Right, because he did it out of animals. Yes, and he did it. He's the one who did it, and he made atonement for their sin, right? He is covering Mm -hmm. their sin, which is pointing exactly foreshadowing to Jesus that he is the one that's going to cover us and cover our sin and I just think that is so cool that we get to we get to see that here. And it just shows us so much of God's character mm-hmm. and how deeply he loves us and and has um, just pursuing us. And even when it's our sin, he's the one that's stepping in to make a way. It's beautiful. Yeah, I like that word made because it mm-hmm. makes me think of him actually like taking his hands mm-hmm. and making something. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just poof it's there like I guess that would be him <laughs> right. making it too but it just makes it seem more intimate yes and we know that God is an intimate God yeah and we I think we can kind of see from here too that we see that God expects atonement for sin right and we you know obviously he gives forgiveness and all that but we see and we'll see throughout the Old Testament that that there is this mm-hmm. sacrifice that is required to right. cover our sins mm-hmm. so this is the first time we see that that God does expect atonement for sin and this is him showing them that it's an atonement that they can't pay yeah So he pays it for them, which again is pointing to Jesus. Like Mm -hmm. we cannot atone for our sin and we need a redeemer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So as we're moving into the last um, few verses of chapter three, this part is the part that was the most confusing to me Mm -hmm. in chapter three. And when I read through it for the first time preparing to study for the podcast, I was super confused by it. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm just going to sit in this for a few weeks. And finally this week I was like... Um, we were listening to something that, that kind of helped clear it up a little bit. So I'm actually going to read it and then we'll talk about it. It says, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground for which he, from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword, sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So I was I was just really confused by all of this. At first I was like, why is God saying that man has become like him? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're we're not like him. Yes, we're made in his image, but um like wasn't that Satan's intent intent was mm-hmm. to tell them, hey, you're going to become like God. And so I'm like, is God saying that that really is what happened? Um, but I think it's like what we talked about earlier. I think he's saying that now they do have knowledge of not only good, but of evil. But the way they got there was through this through this sin. And so when he was talking about them not touching the tree of life and living forever, that that was the part that was really confusing to me because I was like, wait, why wouldn't he want them to live forever? Like, is it because of their sin? Is it like, is that punishment? It was just all really confusing Mm -hmm. to me and something that I don't think had ever been explained. But, um, it's because, or at least the the way it was explained to us, is that God did not want them to be stuck in that sin. Mm-hmm. Like, if they were to live forever in that state, they would be stuck in that sin forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had not yet sent Jesus. He, they had not yet been redeemed. And mm-hmm. so they would be stuck in that forever. Yeah. And that's not what he wanted for them. Mm-hmm. And so he sent them out of the garden, and then he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword to protect that holy place. Mm-hmm. And we see throughout the Bible that God God protects his holy 
the holy of holies yeah. <laughs> everywhere yeah. throughout yeah. the Bible. That's he protects that. Mm-hmm. And so that cleared it up some for yeah, me. Yeah, that's super helpful. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that's I think that's really helpful. Yes. I still feel like it's kind of confusing, but it made sense that God would not want them to live forever the way they were. Right. Um, and eventually, yes, Adam and Eve died, but we know that Jesus came and, mm-hmm. you know, we we see um kind of the end of the story. So Yeah. Anyway. That's very good. So um, as we come to the end of chapter three, Aaron, what was your big takeaway? So I think it, it probably stems from a question that I have, you know, why, why does this have to happen this way, right? So God creates this wonderful, beautiful thing. Why does it have to fall apart so quickly from sin? So like, why, why does the fall happen? And, and how we, you know, we say all things are for God's glory and our good. So why, like how, why, how does that all make sense? And so I think we have to remind ourselves that, you know, God is sovereign and God is omnipotent. So he could have written a different story, right? He could have prevented the fall. He's powerful enough to do that, right? So if we trust that God is good and that he is omnipotent, then we have to know with faith that, that God's power is at work for good in this plan, in this story, in the way that it plays out. Because his wisdom brings um, God the, the most glory and, and the most good for ourselves, And though we might not directly see that, I think we'll see it the more we study his word, but we don't necessarily see that. But without the fall, we wouldn't see the beauty of grace. Mm-hmm. There would have been no grace. That's there would right. have been no need for it. And so if we're thinking about God's glory, think about how much glory God is given through grace. Yeah. In this story and in our lives, I mean, think about the most powerful stories you hear of people's own story, right? It's from this horrible, sinful place, and then God extends grace to them, and their life is completely changed, and God is so glorified in that. And so I think that's kind of a helpful thing that the Lord's been showing me is that, you know, if, if there had only been goodness, if everything stayed good, yes, God would have been just as glorious, but it wouldn't have been demonstrated the same way that it is when we see sin and redemption and grace given that it's just brought to our attention so much more how glorious God truly is. That's so good. And I, I feel like it's important to say that this is not something that we just say lightly Mm -hmm. because we know that there are painful things in this world and you go through seasons that it's hard to believe this. Right. Like it's easy to say sometimes, yes, God is good. God is good. Um, I, I trust in his plan. You know, I don't understand why there's evil, but I know it's going to be for our good and his glory. And, and it's really hard in those seasons, but it really is something that we truly believe with all of our hearts. Mm-hmm. And um, in those seasons of pain and of trial, this is just something that you have to stand on. You just have to know it's true, even if it doesn't feel true, it, even if it doesn't feel good. Um, he is good. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that that's just really, really important to remember. Um even if it's hard to understand, because yes. it is, it's hard yeah. to look at this story and and understand why God would let it happen. Even mm-hmm. even though you can see, well, He is getting more glory because of it, but it's still mm-hmm. it's still hard. Yeah, you know, yeah. if if we serve a God that's loving and all of these things, why is there pain? Why is mm-hmm. there evil? I mean, these are all questions that we all ask, mm-hmm. but we just have to stand on the fact that He is sovereign and He is good, and that's what matters. Yep, yep. So, what would you say has been your 
biggest takeaway from this so chapter. This, this might seem like a little takeaway, um, but it, it ended up being pretty big to me. But it's that sin starts by fixing our eyes on something, and then that leads to desire. A lot mm. of times when we're trying to, quote, unquote, fix our sin, um, we focus on the desire piece of it, mm-hmm. but we're skipping where it originates. Like, it mm. originates with where we're fixing our eyes. Mm. So, um, once again, I'm going to use my example of anxiety because that's something that I I battle every single day. And as we were studying this, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense because if I just target the action of anxiety, like my, my um, the rapid breathing because I'm anxious and the, and the, the Google searching and all mm-hmm. of that, that doesn't always do a lot of good. It has to go back to like, where am I focusing my mind? Have I been in the word today? What, um, what things are, am I thinking about? Like mm-hmm. on a co- constant basis, like where are my eyes being fixed? Are they fixed on Jesus? Or are they fixed on these things that are making me anxious? Mm. And if I get to the root of that, then things are a lot better. If I just focus on my actions, then, then, um, I have a lot harder time getting control of that anxiety. So I think it's like that with anything. And that's how it happened with Eve. Like her eyes were fixed on this fruit Mm -hmm. and then that led to desire. And so I just think that, um, I mean, in our lives, even as we're parenting and as we're trying to disciple our children, when we're talking to them about sin, like, I feel like so many times, like when we discipline them, we are disciplining their action, Mm -hmm. but we're not looking at where was their heart before that? Like, how did this start? Because it's easy. It's easy to just go to the external. The behavior. You did this, so you don't need to do that again. It's hard to work on the inside. Mm -hmm. It is hard and it takes time and a lot of tears. (laughs) But it's worth it because then that really gets to the root of the the problem. And um, in the end, that's what helps you from committing that exact same sin again. Mm-hmm. So that was one of my big takeaways. That's Something really I already helpful. knew, but it really just kind of brought it home for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Makes me want to sing that song. Turn your eyes upon <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, I like that song. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, should we move into chapter four? Yes. Everything gets better in chapter four, right? eventually maybe (laughs) no not really well the end we'll see a little bit of hope at the end but y'all this growing up this was my least favorite bible story probably still is you know what it's not in most bibles in kids bibles (laughs) because i was telling the girls (laughs) saying it's not in most bibles like like, kids bible stories because i was i was telling them i was preparing for this and i said you know cain and abel and they said yeah we know cain and abel they're like let's read about it so we got out like two or three different kids bibles we have and it wasn't in any of them because it's a really i'm assuming it's it's because it's a really hard theologically a lot of work has to go into Mm -hmm. it type story it's a tough story but here we go here we go chapter four Cain and Abel let's start the summary let's start so Eve gives birth to Cain which must have been so weird can you imagine the first person giving birth it would be like how freaky like she would know nothing I mean except for we were talking at Bible study this week like what did God tell her? Like, did That's God true. like kind of give her a heads up? Like, I don't know. Something's though. just gonna come on out of you. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know. pretty crazy. So she she gave birth to Cain, and the thing I liked about this was she immediately made sure to attribute this to God. Like mm. she said, God made him within yeah. me, um, and that was really cool because yeah. it wasn't like, look at this cool kid I made. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, she attributed that, that to God because yeah. if you look back in chapter two, I mean, God 
made Adam. God made her, and she knew that, and mm-hmm. so she she was sure to to say that God made this baby. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that she probably thought, oh, this is the Redeemer that God had promised. Because right? God said it, he was going to come from her. Right. So, yeah, you would think. She I mean, was that like, makes oh, sense. praise Jesus. Yeah. It's happening finally, but yeah. she'll come to realize pretty quickly uh, that that's not, that's not actually the case. So then they had Abel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so they kind of, these two brothers kind of had different jobs. Cain works the ground and Abel is a shepherd. And I love this because what do we see here? We see that Cain is working and mm-hmm. Abel is keeping. Yes. And so we see the work and keep thing again that we've talked about several times. What we were created, what men were created to do, work yep. and keep. Yep. And then we see that um, they brought an offering to the Lord, which kind of seems kind of random. Like it's not something that they... N- talk about why or how this became established, but we see that Cain brought an offering to the Lord and Abel, and the way it's worded, maybe we should just read it because the way it's worded helps provide some some context, I think, as far as like why they were different. But it says, um, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions And then it says, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So what do you think about that, Casey? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is a tough one. If you just read this, you're like, wait, why did God not like Cain's offering? Mm -hmm. Like, what what is it about Cain's offering that wasn't good enough? Mm -hmm. And so for this, we once again kind of have to go to some different areas of the Bible um, and read about it. And in um, 1 Samuel 16, 7 and Psalm 46 through 7, both of those verses talk about the importance of the heart and sacrifice. And so what we can think here possibly is that, and this kind of refers back to what I was talking about a minute ago, about the external and mm-hmm. internal thing, we can think that maybe internally Cain's heart wasn't in the right place. Right. Um, just because we see throughout scripture that that was so important to God. So the fact that God did not accept his offering makes us think that perhaps this was the reason. Another reason could be God also makes it clear throughout scripture that he is to have the first. Mm-hmm. And it does not say in this verse, it says that Abel gave his firstborn sheep, but it does not say that Cain brought his first fruits. Mm-hmm. It just says the fruits. Mm-hmm. So those are two different things that um could be possible reasons that it was not acceptable to God. Yeah, exactly. So I think it shows more devotion, right? Like right. Abel took his firstborn, so it was worth it to him. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of infer that it it wasn't worth it to uh, for Cain to get the first and give that right. to God. It was more of possibly an afterthought mm-hmm. or an obligation. Or even worth it for him to work on his heart. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And then Hebrews 11, 4 also tells us that Abel sacrificed by faith and was commended as righteous for that. So mm-hmm. once again, like we're seeing kind of the contrast um, mm-hmm. between a heart being in the right place and the heart not being in the right place. So how does how does Cain respond to 
to that situation. Oh, he was not happy. Mm. He was angry, very angry. And the Lord asked him why he's angry, and he gives him a warning. And I, I like this a lot. It's verse 6. It says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And I actually have written in my Bible in big words, beside it rule over sin and so this is God basically like waving the red warning flags and saying you need to get a hold of this or this is going to rule over you like you need to choose to rule over Mm. this sin Mm -hmm. and um Cain chose not to um he he chose to live in that sin and um what happens when he lives in that anger so that we see the first um murder ever right mm-hmm, yep. we can assume that's the first murder ever yep. and uh so they're out in the field and Cain in his anger kills Abel and this is this is heartbreaking I can only imagine for Eve where she thinks oh, okay here comes the redeemer here's my two sons it's going to be one of them right but no one is one is conquered by uh, sin right Cain is conquered by sin and the other is conquered by death so there's no way either of them can be the redeemer because the true redeemer cannot be conquered by sin or death and so it's just it's heartbreaking it's it's this further downward spiral we see that happens from sin and that like it says you you have to rule over it or it's gonna rule over you and make you kill people yeah yeah and so um then the lord once again is just so gracious and he asked the question he said where's your brother Mm -hmm. and so cain lies and says he doesn't know and then he's like, what am I? My brother's keeper. You know, he's a little sassy pants. Yeah. And um, ironically, the answer is actually yes. Uh, right. Like, you know, the the Bible says Matthew 5, 21 through 23 actually talks about this. Like we are commanded to love our brothers. And so in a way we are commanded to keep them, to watch over them. Mm-hmm. And and so that's I mean, that in itself was a sin that he wasn't watching out for his brother. But. The thing here is that he is he goes from anger to murder to lying. Mm-hmm. So sin begets sin. Like once you get in this cycle of sin, it is so hard to get out. And, you know, as I was reading this, I was like just thinking about how dangerous anger is. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times like we get angry with our kids we get angry with our husband like it's just an emotion that I think a lot of us really struggle with but we forget that if we sit in that anger it can lead to so much more dangerous Mm -hmm. things and um yeah so that really kind of struck me as I was reading this just I think a lot of times and you know you even see like funny memes and stuff about Anger, you know, people having anger problems, anger management, this, that, and the other, and people kind of make light of it, but mm-hmm. anger is really dangerous. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's convicting. So, what do we see happens next? Um, what does God call him out on? So, he um, basically says, you know, I know what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you did last summer. <laughs> I know what you've done, and... Um, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And so now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you and its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wonder on the earth. 
And so um, then Cain basically says to God, he says, my punishment is more than I can stand. Someone's going to kill me. So he was afraid that someone was going to do to him what he did to right. his brother. And um, but he was driven away. The Lord said, I will protect you. Why do you think God protected him? I don't know. This was a question that I kept wrestling with after reading this is, you know, God and, and I kind of, this is a silly analogy, so I don't know how far this can go, but it, it almost seems like it would have been easier for him to just die in that moment, right? So it might be more of a punishment yep. for him to live in this state of being a fugitive and a wanderer, and like that might actually be a worse punishment than if God would have just killed him in that moment. That was my exact thought. I thought, I think this is God's justice yeah. in a way. Like, this is the consequence. Like, you know how sometimes, oh gosh, I remember when I was a little kid, I just thought about this. Like, if I would get in trouble before school, and I don't think this happened very often because I was a pretty good kid yeah. <laughs> but like if I would get in trouble before school and my mom would be like we're gonna talk to your dad about that when he gets mm. home after school yeah. and I'll be like can I just call him right now she's like no we're not bothering him at work and then all day yeah. I thought about it so it's kind of like that like it would have been so much better to just talk to him before school mm -hmm. but she was like no like that was part of part of my punishment yeah sitting in that all day was probably way worse than what my dad actually said to me when he got home mm -hmm. he probably didn't even really care he's like <laughs> it happened at 8 a.m but me thinking about that all day long yep. was punishment so that's what I was thinking God was kind of doing mm -hmm. and that's just kind of my own thoughts that's not right. coming from that's anything. just us thinking yeah yes. but that that was my thought when when God said no nobody's gonna kill you you yeah. have to sit in your sin yeah so so what do we see happens next Cain apparently got married yeah and he had a baby and then there's just lots of more sin through his genealogy his mm -hmm. baby's name was Enoch and then there's just sin and sin and sin yes um for several generations yeah um, and then chapter four, we see ending with some hope. Mm -hmm. This is what I was talking about at the beginning. It comes back around, right? Back to Adam mm -hmm. and that, um, they have another son and name him Seth. And then we see this kind of foreshadowing, right? So it ends with saying, uh, Eve is speaking here saying, God has appointed me for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain had killed him. To Seth, also a son was born, and his name was Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. What do you think about that? <laughs> I think that I love that this chapter ends with hope. Yes. That it ends with coming full circle and calling upon the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a good reminder that, like, God will always, the glory is always for him. Mm -hmm. It'll always come back around to to pointing us to him. Yes. Yes. That's good. That's so good. Yeah. like it. So be excited next week. Some more fun. So next week, we're going to go through the story of Noah and the flood. And it starts in chapter 5 and goes through chapter 10. So get to reading. <laughs> yes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And most importantly, share with a friend. The beautiful music that you've heard on this episode today is by the incredibly talented Katie Cobbs.